Again, my name is Josh Valdix, and it's a pleasure to be back with you this evening. Um, Let's go to our Lord in prayer as we prepare to read his word. Heavenly Father, we, coming to your word, Lord, expect to hear from you. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us um, in these texts. Um, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, that you would shape us and mold us. That you would make us more like Christ Jesus, our Savior. Um, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would um, comfort us with your word. Lord, we pray that you would... Um, chastise us uh, with your word where it is needed. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would not leave here unchanged, Lord, but we would leave here um, fully um, on fire to follow you. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sang earlier, our first uh, scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms chapter 63, Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night... For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. This is the word of God, and our second, and and our our reading for the sermon comes again from 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we might have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you were to read any books on the doctrine of creation, after you um, get past um, things like the number of days or how old the earth is, you get to a more central aspect of the doctrine, this thing which theologians call creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, creation from nothing. This is a way of Speaking, which isn't simply trying to give a mechanical or causal account of creation, that creation wasn't out of some primordial putty which God used in making the world, but rather it is saying something deeper, something more profound. If creation is is something which didn't simply happen a long, long time ago, but but something theologically telling for us, it is telling us this, that this world and this life are sacred gifts that are meant to be cherished and celebrated. That life is out of nothing, that it is sheer gift, sheer grace. In a time when so many places, so many creatures, so many human communities are hurtful to one another, are destroyed under the weight of sin and death, in which we call one another enemies, in which we call the world, in which we live and treat it as an enemy. What creation ex nihilo, what creation out of nothing tells us is that life is sheer gift, that the world is sheer gift, that it comes from divine love, that it's not something that needs to be, but rather is something unexpected and wondrous, that this divine love is the only reason and the only power at work in God's creation of everything. God created the world out of love in order that we, his creatures, might respond with love. And as a result, we ought to expect that love pervades 
God's creation. And this is exactly what we find if we go to the Genesis narrative and we begin to read Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. What we find there is man in the garden walking with God. Hand in hand, a loving relationship between creator and creature. And yet it doesn't stop there. God declares it is not good for man to be alone. And of course, we often apply this statement to marriage, but it's a much more general statement than that. That, that it is not good for humanity to live in isolation. That it is not good for one man to be an island. That we are created for community, that we are created to live with one another. This call to love gets right at the reason why we have life and why we have breath. Humans were created in order to love. Humans were created for the purpose of loving, and there's something devastated, devastating and broken When a human being doesn't live and love and shrinks their lives down to our own little agendas. In other words, when humanity fell away from God, we fell out of love. When humanity became transfixed on making ourselves our own gods, humanity became unable to live lives of love as God intended. Say this is to say that to fail to love is not merely a spiritual problem, but rather, more fully, it is a failure to be truly human. And yet in sin, we are so quick to fail at loving. We are consumed with our own agendas, with our own desires. We live in competition with one another rather than for the good of other people. We want other people to serve us rather than being at the mutual service of one another. This is true in things like teams. I was watching a YouTube video the other day of a NFL player who had just retired talking about how they were on a team of 53 people and how this could have been one big community um, where everyone was supportive of one another. But if you weren't a first-team player, if you weren't a starter, what you were secretly hoping the whole time is the guy in front of you would break his leg, right? And, and, and so that you could get playing time and get more money. And, and this is how we live. We live in competition with one another, even in communities which are meant to be supportive and loving. In other words, what we do is we lust. We lust for power. We lust for people. We lust for possessions. Rather than rejoicing in and with and with others in God's creation, we strive to make everything an object of our own pleasures. We have turned the life and the world from an object of amazement to something we feel like ought to serve us. Where everyone else can become merely an inconvenience if they're getting in the way of our plans and our desires. So often the world tells us that the thing most important to pay attention to, the most important thing to prioritize is yourself. To care only about 
you. And when, when you hear this, the world is telling you a horrible lie. A dehumanizing lie. A lie which will make you miserable as you sink further into yourself and further away from community of loving relationships which God created you for. Right? Every commercial which is trying to get you to buy something because it will satisfy you is at the same time pulling you away from a right way of living, which isn't material-oriented, which isn't self-oriented, but rather is other-oriented. You can think of how many people today are depressed and anxious and sad and lonely because they have isolated themselves by focusing on gambling, on pornography, on binging Netflix by themselves, on avoiding community. That we, when we focus on our own happiness, our own desires, will find ourselves isolated and alone. A man by the name of Malcolm Muckridge, who was a British journalist, who was an atheist until his late 70s before becoming a Christian and wrote a um, book on Christianity, said this, "Um, What we seek so ardently... Um, turn out in the end to be the opposite of what we have hoped. To suppose the universe is created and you and I are put in it to fulfill our own sensual appetites is not only to demean life, but to falsify it as well. Seeking fulfillment by our sensual appetites is not a satisfactory basis for living through a single day. A theologian put it like this, The problem with lust is it does not have its own origin in self-denial. There is a desire to possess and control and enjoy whatever it is that you have set your affections on. Man wants it for himself, magnifying, upholding, deepening, broadening, illuminating, enriching of his own existence, or perhaps simply a need to express himself or perhaps even more simply, a desire to find satisfaction in all his unrest. And so it takes place that however much he may seem to give what is his, lavishing it on the object of love, he does not really give it up, but uses it as a means to win or keep or enjoy this object of his love. In other words, there are many things you can give yourself to. But if your love, no matter how good it might seem, no matter how good the object of that love might seem, if your love derives from your own desire to possess or control or enjoy and not from the inherent worthiness of the object, it falls short of what Christian love is. If it is for self-preservation, whether your life, your self-conception, your reputation, your seeking of a dopamine rush, it will fall short. Because so much of our existence is derived from what we want for ourselves. Even the people we love, we have expectations and demands upon making our love conditional and sucking the soul out of the other person 
an object, even in the loves we think are pure? Why do you love your children? Is it because they are a gift from God? Inherently, as a gift from God, they call forth love from you. Or do you love your kids because they're little yous running around whom you can shape and mold and make a, a beautiful Josh 2.0 who's smarter and more athletic? Um, I'm going to torture my kids when I'm older, I'm sure. Um, or or are, are, why do you love someone? Is it because you can get something out of them or is it because they are the image of God and worthy of such love? Why are there so many people who are sad and hopeless and unfulfilled? It's because they are attempting to do something which they were never created to do. You were not created to live for you and you alone. And so you will not find fulfillment in living for you and you alone. The only way to find contentment and hope and happiness is a life of love. When the world tells you then to prioritize yourself, what it is telling you is to dehumanize yourself, to live as something far less than what you were created for. We ought to love. It's what we were created to do. When we're doing anything but this, what we are not doing, we are not doing what we are created for. We become like a fish on dry land. We become something that isn't being used for the purpose that it has been made for. We become far less than what you were made for. You can think of using a tool for something it's not supposed to do. I do this all the time because new homeowner and we have all these things to fix in our house and I'm too cheap to buy any tools, so I got a hammer, and I got like two sets of pliers, and I'm going to try to fix anything with those three things. And what happens every single time is I break it worse before I go get the right tool, and I fix it, right? That is what human beings, what we are like when we are trying to live for ourselves. And yet God has a remedy, verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. In other words, the cataclysmic act of salvation shows us God's love for us. It shows us God's very heart, that God's heart is a heart of love, or as John puts it, as we said earlier, God is love, a heart which chooses to save sinners in their sin, a holy, loving God who chooses to love sinners in their sin. And as a result, God's love is not dependent on us, but rather is unwavering towards us. And this is the very heart of John's gospel. This is the heart of John's epistles. It's how John describes himself in his own gospel. As he says again and again, the disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to himself. Jesus' followers for John were not slaves, but rather they were friends 
of Jesus. John famously records Jesus' vision of true love. No one has a greater love than this, that a person would lay down his life on behalf of his friends. It is clear that Jesus genuinely cared for and cherished his friends. He made this most clear by willingly offering himself to death. And this is the truth which John so clearly has internalized as he writes to this church needing to hear of the love of God. That his Savior has loved him. And that this Savior loving him has changed everything and has enabled him in turn to love others. One of the things which diminishes the power of the Christian faster than anything else is to refuse to believe that God actually loves you. Because we might say, God knows me more than anybody else, right? God knows all things, and so he knows the worst parts about me about me that no one else knows. And as a result, he must be incapable of loving me. I'm unlovable. Right? The, the facade we put up in front of others can't be put up in front of God, and so he knows. And so we, in misunderstanding his character, first might think, That God simply cannot love us because we have become unlovable. And yet we might also misjudge God's character in different ways. First, we might think that God's love for us is the same sinful way that we love others. Conditioned by our behavior and what we are getting out of it. And conversely, God's, we might think that God's love is weak, that it is safe. And by thinking that we can know and experience the love of God in a manner in which we are not changed. That we can come to know God's love for us, that we can truly understand the cross and not become conduits of divine love towards others. When we come to experience God's love, he will remove from us all which is not love. That God will take from us every sin which we cling to. That God will remove from us every hard edge that we might be truly loving, that we might truly be like our Savior. And the novelist Marilyn Robinson and Gilead, through the words of Reverend John Ames, I'm an aging pastor writing to his young son whom he uh, is soon to leave behind, says this. Augustine says the Lord loves each of us as if we were an only child. And that has to be true. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It takes nothing from the loveliness of this verse to say this is exactly what will be required. In other words... That we will be perfected in love, and yet that process will be difficult as we come into fuller and fuller contact with the love of God. And He takes away the sins and the evils which we cling to. And yet in the end, we will be with a Lord who will look on us in love. Who will hold us in His love. Love and we will be made able to truly love 
one another. God is love. And as such, he calls us to a life of love. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. As 1 John 4.16 puts it, um, we have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. Right? That's perfect summary of Christianity. I have come to know and believe in the love God has. We have come to believe in God's love. In these words, the Christian expresses the fundamental decision of our lives. Being Christian is not the result of a simple ethical choice or lofty idea, but an encounter with an event, a person which gives life a new horizon in a decisive direction. John's Gospel describes that event in these words, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. Since God has first loved us, love is now no longer a mere command, but rather it is a response to the gift of love with which God draws near to us. Right? Love calls forth love in the Beloved. As Paul puts it, if I speak in tongues of men, in angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain Nothing. The heart of the Christian life is the love of God. The heart of the Christian life is loving others. Right? In other words, as, as Paul says, it doesn't matter how much service you do at church, it doesn't matter how often you read your quiet, you do your quiet time, how well you know your Bible. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter. If you are foremost acting out of divine love, if you are not acting out of divine love, but rather running around to try to show people how amazing you are, how amazing of a Christian you are, you have a Christian ego, if you will, you are acting as a non-believer. My childhood pastor used um, an illustration, which I'll read for you now. Let us suppose that a kite could come to life and develop its own personality. On the one hand, it would feel exhilaration that comes from the surges of wind that direct it through the sky. On the other hand, it would almost immediately notice something annoying. The tugging of a string. A feeling of constraint and resistance. And soon that kite would begin to think to itself, if only I could detach. Then I could really fly. Right To the kites, it would seem that the string is limiting its full experience of freedom. But as any boy or girl knows who has ever flown a kite where that string to suddenly snap, the kite wouldn't soar freely for very long. 
It would dart to and fro for a minute, but very soon thereafter, it would end up on the ground in a pile of broken sticks and torn paper, never to fly again. Rather, you see the taut line between the kite and the one holding it that enables the kite is, is what enables the kite to fly. It allows all the principles of aerodynamics to come into place so that the kite might achieve the full, its full purpose. <coughs> Christian love performs this same function as a kite string. You take away the stabilizing force of Christian love and every towering gift, every supernatural power, every sacrificial act, every musical performance, it will all end up in the ash heap of eternal insignificance without love. You might not be called to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, but you, if you are a Christian here today, you are called to love. It is the unwavering call to the Christian to live a life which is characterized by love as it abides in love. When you are going into a situation, this means, where you don't want to go, where you'd rather sit in silence by yourself, whether it be a hard day at work and you're going home to some crazy kids who you know are going to be obedient, you're going home to a calling. You're going home to a call to love. If you're going to work in that one coworker is always obnoxious and annoying, you're going into a calling, a call to love. If you're going into a crazy situation in which everyone's going to lean on you and sap your energy, you're going into a calling. What you are being called to do is love. This is the calling of every Christian. This is your calling as a believer to not live as the world, but to love those in it, because we have come to know the love of God. As was asked of Jesus, what is the first and greatest commandment? And Jesus responds to love God and to love your neighbor. This is what you were made for. This is what Christ died for, that you might live in a perfect world of love. <clears throat> this is the salvation which Christ has bought for you, a kingdom of love. A kingdom in which you might simply give up on this loveless world, in which you might give up on the rat race, in which you might give up on your self-deceptions and ego. Because you have come to a greater understanding that your purpose isn't to compete. It isn't to try to get your way. It isn't to simply feed every desire you might have. But rather that your purpose is to love. To love in community. To love supported by others. To love held by others. And to love a Lord who has loved you before you even 
were thought in your mother's mind. God is love. Your calling is to love. This is the Christian life. Love God and love your neighbor. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we so quickly are quick to fail at love. We are so quick to make enemies. We are so quick to um, seek our own good over others. We are so quick to um, not be considerate, to, to not consider, um, Lord, the good of other people. Lord, we are so quick to um, isolate ourselves and make ourselves um, islands. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would rid us of these thoughts. Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we have been saved by Jesus, as we have been saved into the church, as we have been saved into a community of love, Lord, that you might make us those who love. Lord, that you might make us care for our brothers and sisters. That you might make us never never to be selfish, but, Lord, to, to, to be self-sacrificial. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts, Lord, and that you would help us to more fully understand what Jesus has done for us, his own sacrificial love. Lord, that we might love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.